I'm so impressed. I heard the voice, but it took a few moments before I could recognize it as being both directed toward me and real, and not the latest affirmation of an emerging psychotic break. My countenance was stricken, eyes drooping, and cheeks crimsoned by indignation as I looked up toward the voice, for a moment turning my attention away from the tauntingly misnomered courtesy counter. With caustic incredulity, I queried the speaker, What? Hi, this is Brother Nicholas Romeo, and you're listening to The Friar the Friar, a limited series from the Franciscan Friars Conventual, focused on the critical Catholic question of vocational discernment. In the second episode, we take a closer look at the meaning of holiness. Another hour slogged by after the pilot calmed our nerves with the measurements of Paris runways. Just as the boys were beginning to formulate legitimate plans toward revolution, a new announcement came over the plane's intercom. It wasn't leaking brake fluid that was the problem, it was the landing gear. It was broken. Kaput. Gonzo. This, it seems, was finally reason to pull the plug on this ever-expanding existential crisis. They unloaded the plane, dumping us back into the now-vacant terminal. It was past midnight. Everyone was gone, and everything was closed. The chaperones communicated telepathically at this point, intuiting the common desire to huddle the boys together and regroup. Giving up on the trip was not an option. It had cost too much, and we were now in too deep. We gave the boys strict instructions not to wander off while the chaperones did just that, dispersing throughout the terminal, trying to conquer the inertia of the system by dividing ourselves among any agent we could find. One of us stood in the impossibly long line that had formed at the gate. Two others took opposite sides of the terminal, traversing from gate to gate looking for someone who would show us the milk of human compassion. I went to the courtesy counter. My assigned task? Arranging rooms for the night because we clearly weren't going anywhere until morning, and I was not sleeping in the airport. Securing the number of rooms needed was disarmingly facile, but that wasn't enough. We also needed the airline to pony up the bill. Exhausted and defeated, I hobbled into battle, with the agent coming to the end of her late-night shift behind the counter. She was many things. Courteous wasn't one of them. Having been accosted with a lengthy list of things that weren't her problem, and having been more or less blamed for the failure to perform routine maintenance on the landing gear, I leaned into the counter, deciding between the alternative tactics of either ugly crying or trying to remember how flirting worked. It was in that moment of despair that I heard the voice. I said, I'm so impressed with your boys. They're handling this so well. I looked past the woman, who I suppose had been standing behind me at the criticism counter the entire time. In the walkway outside our former gate, the boys had formed up in a circle, playing Ninja, a game familiar to anyone who's ever been involved in a youth group. They were boisterous without being loud, laughing without being obnoxious. They were energized. One might even have described their mood as joyful. I smiled looked back at the woman, and mouthed a soft thank you. 
Holiness is one of the four creedal marks of the Church, its pursuit a necessity inculcated in every good Catholic. We are to be holy as the Lord our God is holy, to thirst after a life of holiness toward which we are, each one of us, universally summoned. But just what does it really mean to become holy? How do we avoid confusing it with the pious barnacles of religious practice on the one hand, or reducing it to a generic quest for bland kindness on the other? For if one thing is certain, it was that Jesus preached a gospel that calls disciples to something much deeper than either a cultural Catholicism of plasticine piety or the contemporary cult of kindness. Holiness has much in common with our concept of sacredness. Indeed, the holy and the sacred are fairly inextricably interwoven. For a person to become holy, then, he must be separated or set apart for divine purposes. My favorite definition of holiness comes from Rudolf Otto, who defines the holy as the mysterium tremendum et fascinans. When we're attempting to describe an encounter with the holy, we're usually describing an experience with a mysterious reality that is, at one and the same time, both tremendous and fascinating. Holy realities, persons, places, objects, rituals, general experiences, are those which cause us to tremble, while also captivating us. Holiness simultaneously repels us and lures us, and at once pushes us back and draws us in. Examples of this dynamic abound, both in scripture and in widely accessible personal experience. Perhaps the most classic biblical example of the Mysterium Tremendum et Fascinans is Moses' encounter with the Lord in the burning bush. Reading over the pericope, we see that Moses is initially drawn in to the strange sight of this flaming bush that is nevertheless unconsumed. Once approaching it closer, however, and receiving the Lord's commission to go back to Egypt, the bush is far less than appealing for Moses. The God who burns within his creatures without consuming them at once fascinates Moses and fills him with trembling anxiety. The person of Jesus is a second great scriptural example of what Otto meant. In the Gospel accounts, we see time and time again how Jesus is met with this same mixed reaction of trepidation and enchantment from those who heard him preach, saw him heal, or chose to follow him. I imagine in all of our lives, we each have had any number of these dual experiences that we would readily describe as holy standing in the face of a grand and splendid natural vista, holding a newborn, sitting with someone approaching death, falling in love. The boys' game in that Philadelphia airport terminal, or more precisely, the phenomenon of brotherhood manifested by that game, was an encounter with the holy. The reaction of the surrounding stranded travelers captured well the dynamic, a humorous mixture of those who saw the gaggle of teens and steered clear, and those who smiled approvingly as they passed by. My own internal response was a juxtaposition of annoyance, joy, and pride at observing the quality of their fraternity, and having its simple goodness be noticed by others. Hence my gentle thank you to the woman who'd pointed it out to me. She helped me attend to an unexpected moment of real holiness I otherwise would have missed 
All of this is to say that being called to holiness means we are called to live lives that are themselves a mysterium tremendum et fascinans. The life of authentic discipleship is not meant to elicit a lukewarm or bland response. It is meant to be tremendous and fascinating. Disciples are supposed to make the world tremble and captivate it. Christians, like the Christ whose gospel we follow, should simultaneously repel the world and lure it in. When discerning vocation, therefore, we should be discerning the setting wherein we are best able to live that sort of life. What is the vocational milieu where we will most fully become a person whose life, at one and the same time, pushes others away and draws them in? But just how do we go about doing that? 